Oh my gosh. Welcome everybody back to the new guys. We're so grateful that you listen. Uh, I got into the gratitude before I introduced myself. My name is River Butcher. I'm one of the hosts of the show. I'm also a comedian, a writer, and an actor on strike. Woo! Joining me is... I'm Gabe Dunn. I'm also um, a writer and uh, a podcaster and filmmaker, and I'm also on strike. And we're both trans guys. This is a trans guy show for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's for everybody, though. You don't it's have to be everybody. a trans guy. You don't have to stop listening. You don't have to turn this off because we said this is for trans guys. In fact, I encourage you to keep listening because it's just a podcast about being people and we have those specific things about us. How have you been, Gabe? Uh, I'm okay. I'm uh, mm-hmm. I'm rethinking a lot of career stuff, but I'm also mm. like working on my my film, my T for T movie that I'm excited that hopefully we'll shoot at the end of the year. It's like my de- directorial debut. So I've just been working on that a lot and getting a lot of very nice positive feedback about making something like it. So I hopefully by the time this comes out, I'll have been able to post about it on social media a little bit. <laughs> teaser teaser as we like to say in the business yeah but because it's it's ultra low budget i'm not i'm not working with warner brothers on this okay that's <laughs> yeah. not that sort of thing are you crowdfunding it or what are you I'm doing? gonna try yeah well we have to get yeah. the um yeah we have to of get permission course. but well yeah like everybody keep that in mind you know, keep you it in mind spare a couple bucks to make some art. Yes, you know, that's going to be the plan. I'm going to let all of you guys know about it. And I'll probably, once yeah. we can, I'll talk about it more on this show because um, I'm excited about our cast and everybody trans working on it. And uh, great. and there might be opportunities if um, if people here work in entertainment and are trans. I do. <laughs> I Yeah, well, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, but there's also people who listen and who, who are those things. I'm talking about crew so, yeah. people. Yeah, of course. Unless I, you want to come I'm, hold I'm, I'm a light. Crew stuff. I don't know how to do it. I'm not <laughs> human, so I don't know. I, I, there's somebody better at that than me. <laughs> I mean, I do it. Um, that, you know, reminds me that I, I often hide my light under a basket, and I don't want to do that. Uh, I found out that the target release date for my special on YouTube is 9-16. Hey! So September 16th-ish. You know, obviously that can change. It's malleable because it's not going on, you know, some TV thing or whatever, uh, which is totally cool. But that's generally when it's coming out. And I'm excited to say that there's like a target for that, which is super cool. And I recorded it in Portland at Helium. It's coming out through Helium Comedy Studios, uh, which uh, we're going to we're going to keep talking to you in our intro. But really excited to have our guest today, uh, a former Portland uh, celebrity. I don't yeah, know. Portland what, what is celebrity the word? I was say for sure. Stalwart, but like at least, I don't know. That, that that always has like a negative connotation to me, but um, hero, Portland, yeah, Portland hero. hero. Uh, Tuck Woodstock is on the show of, of Gender Reveal Podcast. So we have a really fun conversation uh, with them on the show and we're excited for that. So that, that feels like a nice transition for that part. Um, yes. And what else, what else did you want to talk about? Yeah, I know we are, we're also going to do some uh, listener emails because you guys sent us some emails, which is awesome. We've been asking for that. Yeah. That's all I have is I have my, our listener emails. Cause I'm going to save okay, the great. other thing for our next episode. Okay, cool. Well, the one thing that I have to share that I forgot, cause I, <laughs> I was telling Gabe, I was like, I once again, don't have an activity because I once again have injured myself pretty drastically and so i haven't actually been able to do a lot but this was pre-injury um and i forgot about it uh and it's not i don't think this is a gendered thing it's actually like non-gendered which is 
why I wanted to share it. Um, the injury I did to myself, but I re- I really hurt myself. I like uh, hit my quad with a baseball bat and like my River, entire what? leg. I know it just was a mistake. I've broken a bat over my knee before. It was not a problem. I I assessed I misassessed a situation. Thought I could break it and tried it full force and it did not break. And I deeply deeply bruised my leg okay. uh, to the point where like my knee doesn't work and I'm going to go to urgent care today to see if there's more that I can do to make it work. It's river, getting better. River. But wh- it's crazy. <laughs> why did you try to break a bat over your leg? Because I did it before. That's not an answer. It is an answer game. Because you did it but be- are you showing off to someone? No. No, I literally was like laughing when I did it. I was not upset. I wasn't showing off. I literally was like, oh, this happened before. I'll just do this again. And it it was a mistake. Aren't, I like made a mistake. There's no way for me to go back and not do it. But aren't you bats know? expensive? Why would you break a bat? Because it was already broken. Oh, my God. I wasn't trying to break a full bat that wasn't broken over my knee. Oh it my was God. I was at bat at a baseball game. I feel very judged by you right now. Be- I'm just going to be just very honest. Because this is like. Like I heard I'm, I'm, I'm like being like. I did. I made a mistake, and I'm learning from it. Which is, I'm not going to do it again. I know, but this is <laughs> like, know? this is like, I feel like this is the spiritual successor of like when boys in middle school would just try to jump and hit the doorway. Like, I feel like, like, why? There's no reason for it. Well, I, I mean, like, okay, so what? So what? <laughs> like, why? I, I now I feel bad. Like, you're no, actually no, making no. me feel bad about something that I did. You know, like. <laughs> I'm being very honest. Like you're, I feel like bad. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You like, hurt I'm, yourself. I, here's I'm sorry. the thing: like boys jumping and touching the thing is not getting hurt. Yeah. Okay. I, you hurt I, I, like, yourself. Hurt myself. What happened right after you did it? Did you realize what you did? I was like, oh man, that hurt, and it didn't hurt really badly right away. Oh no. Um, and so I try to keep playing because I, oh no, the other times I've been hurt. Well, I don't know there. I don't know what the. I mean, obviously, I just did what I did, and there's no. I wasn't playing through like major pain. It just felt like, ooh, I, I think I bruised myself a little bit, and then it got worse. And I went home and I iced it, and I took care of myself, and I've continued to like take care of myself as best I can. I did not play. I haven't been doing. But the other thing is that rest is actually hurting it more. Oh no, because it actually needs to move around. So I'm not sure. That's why I'm going to go to the doctor today because I'm like, is there something to do for this that I, I'm not doing? I'm so you know? sorry. So here's the here's here's my silver lining of this is that, A, I'm like, I'm not going to do that again. Oh. You know, that's like silly. It's a silly, very easy thing. I don't have to do again. Right, right. Uh, two, I, I think I said A first, whatever. Uh, I am continually like the thing I'm being offered with these injuries is... Mm. I get to keep learning how to take care of myself. Oh, that's and nice. And that's not something that I did before. I would just like be angry about it, feel bad about it, feel sorry about myself for it and complain about it all the time. But now I get to keep learning new ways of being taken care of or like taking care of it myself because I'm the only one that can take care of it. That's and nice. So like I went to my baseball game yesterday and got to and was just the manager because like I really want to play. So I wore shorts so I couldn't play Aww. and was just like. I don't want to say just the manager. I did a great job. Yeah. I was a great manager yesterday. We needed that. And I helped everybody. And I felt like I was part of the team. And being on my leg was very helpful for it. Okay. Think, you know? So anyway, I didn't mean to talk about that that long. But I think, you know, whatever. Uh, the thing I was going to say is I went to say, see La Tigra at the Greek. And it was really incredible. It was an incredible experience to watch a band 
that had such a profound influence on me as a 20 year old person. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I don't think I fully understood because how can you, the effect that it had on me as a 20 year old and be, and hearing the things that they were saying to people. Well, like, it, I, like I was, what sort of I was stuff? literally, I mean, I used to listen, we already talked about this, the Dyke March yeah. thing, but I didn't even know Keep On Living was a song about like uh, CPTSD, oh. you know, like it's a song about like, don't stop, don't yeah. give up, like we love you, like you are here. It, it's like, I just had no idea what I was hearing and I really needed to hear it then and then to hear it as a 40 year old and to watch like Kathleen as the age that she is singing these yeah. things and still having an experience of it. And like to also just see that like I love all three of them. I love I deeply, deeply, deeply love that band mm -hmm. so much. And like they are artists in a way that is I feel is so rare. Mm -hmm. And like to just maintain that and to like respect what they do and the art that they make and to like see all these people like dancing and like angry and happy and all these things at once. It was just like, oh, God, it was just such a tremendous experience, you know. You've lived like a full spectrum of you've had such a, a full spectrum of life <laughs> since we last talked. Since we last talked. I yeah. thought you were going to say that in those 20 years. But yeah, I mean, I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. You know, what was like the feeling in the mo were you having that thing where you're like, oh, my God, 20 year old me would be freaking out or like just sort of being like, oh, my God, yeah. I, I there are so many parts of me that are being pieced together and healed and stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think the answer is yes to yeah. both, you know, that it was like all at once. And like, and the 40 year old was also like freaking out and couldn't believe, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. I can't believe I get to do this. Mm -hmm. And I get can't believe I get like, I also like, I like was looking around and I was like, I wonder what I look like to people at this <laughs> thing, you know, because like when I listened to La Tigre, I was wearing, you know, like flare jeans with a white belt and cut off sleeves like I still have my Latigra shirt that doesn't fit I'm mm -hmm. too big for that now and I was like an extra small and I was listening to them on my 2003 iPod while I was mowing my mom's lawn yeah you know but then I also look like a guy that would be doing that <laughs> <laughs> you know but to just like be around and know that like it doesn't matter and I'm there and I'm just a part of this thing with everybody mm -hmm. It was just, I don't know. It was, it was really incredible. And like how they sounded so good. Aww. Like it sound, they, they sounded so great. And like, it just is such, I, I don't know. I don't have where it was such an experience that I don't have words for it. You know, it's like a nonlinear experience of the whole thing. It was so cool. I love it. I love that. <laughs> Thanks dude. That's you so do sweet. Listener questions. Sure. Well, so there's just some, um, really lovely reviews. And I'll read those. This is, uh, it says, I just wanted to say I started transitioning a decade ago and I've heard slash read so many awful opinions from other trans guys and you guys, and this podcast is such a tonic. You guys are having complex <laughs> discussions in such an open and kind way. It's rare and I'm glad I get to listen to it. That's so great. I mean, that's not really advice. That's just no, no. These are just nice things people have said. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. 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 Do we have advice ones or do we just have the compliments? We have, we have night. We have advice. I'll, okay, read, great. I'll read you. Well, okay. I'll yeah, read yeah, an yeah. email. Do your thing. Do your thing. I was just checking. in. About no, there is. I mean, I just wanted to say some nice. So these, that's a nice DM cool. that we got. Then this is a nice, this is a nice message. Hi, love your podcast. I have a pitch for you. Oh, okay. So this is a person who's a nude model and, uh -huh. and they've been doing nude modeling since 1996. 
And they posed nude like during early HRT, pre-top surgery, after. Uh, it's been quite a trip bearing all as I evolved into my current iteration. Would you ever want to talk about that? Are they, I mean, I don't know if this information is in there, but do, is my assumption correct that they're like a nude art model? Yes, a like nude art model. Stuff like yeah, that? Okay. for being sketched. Yeah, which I think is yeah, very that's interesting. Cool. I, man, I did. I mean, I went to art school, and so like we, ha- I did that. I was in classes for that. You know, you nude people. modeled. No, I did not nude model. Oh, okay. What I mean is, I was in the class, and then people were doing that, and I was always so like, "How are they doing that?" <laughs> <laughs> Mostly because I uh, seeing the um, the finished product and knowing what someone else saw when they looked at me. No, not for me. <laughs> I have to I, go. Yeah, I I feel like I could. I I would was like I could never do that before. I would totally do it now. Yeah, there's um when I was at Nova Arts, they did a trans mask um art drawing class. And so that's something if you live in LA, you should look for because that was mm-hmm. that was very fun. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a this is an, another nice comment. I've been a huge fan of these two for years, and I love how queer people have a way of always gravitating towards each other, even if we don't realize why at the time. I've had many differing opinions from these guys, but I always take a step back and remind myself that we are all allowed our own opinions, and I don't have to agree with everything other trans people say. It's not always been easy for me to navigate parasocial relationships, but I'm definitely getting better at it. I'm really excited to hear what these two have to say, and I'm really grateful to be similar in age and on Earth at the same time as them, and grateful to be trans and to always be learning new and then they put new K-N-E-W things. <laughs> Cute. I I want us to be a little more controversial than other trans guy podcasts. In, what does that mean to you? Like, I want us to just be a little spicy. Like, I don't want us to be like, like gentle. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, you're going to have a hard time doing that with me. <laughs> you're, no, that's not true, River. You have spicy opinions. I have spicy opinions. I just don't always share them. Mm. But I'm gentle. You are gentle. gentle. That's the thing is I'm gentle about those opinions. So that's the thing. Yeah. But you get riled up in a what way I enjoy. What opinion are you talking about? I feel like you must uh, have I think when you yelled at one point that we should be dangerous as trans people. <laughs> yeah. So that's spicy. So we're doing it. I know. I guess what I'm trying to say. So what do you want us to do differently then? Nothing. I love us. Okay. <laughs> I'm obsessed with us. Okay, great. Okay. Um, this is, okay, so this, this is an email. This is from Stacy. Hey, River and Gabe, I've been listening to your podcast and I have moments where I feel very understood in a way that I don't think I've ever had listening to another podcast. I was just going through my clothes to see what I could get rid of while I was listening and I was just wearing a sports bra. I want to get rid of everything. Nothing looked right or felt right. So I put my binder on. As soon as I put it on, I felt like I could breathe again. And now all my clothes look right on me and I can't get rid of anything. It reminded me of when I first got my binder, and it was about two years ago. My best friend, who is FTM trans, had one, and that was too small. Oh, had one that was too small for him, so he gave it to me. I don't identify as trans. I'm non-binary, but it was the first time in my life that I really felt like myself. I might not have ever known or had that experience if it wasn't for that specific situation. I guess my point is, for anyone who might be questioning or totally not comfortable in their female body, I 100% recommend trying it. It completely changed my life. Anyway, I guess I just hoped you might share my experience or talk about moments, you guys, that had felt like that. Thank you for what you do. It's incredibly important. Stacy. There's a lot to unpack there. Well, I mean, I, yeah. I, what Are you going to unpack what this person said? Well, two things. I'm, I'm always curious about the conversation about non-binary not being under the trans umbrella or not being trans. Mm-hmm. I think we have an episode coming up that we might get into that more. But yeah, what do you yes. think of that? 
I, well, I guess, you know, that is something that came up for me. But here, here's what I want to offer uh, regarding that. This person did not say that being non-binary is not trans. Right. This person said, I don't identify as trans. Right. I am non-binary. Yeah. So I would like to be respectful of what that person is saying about themselves. Totally. And I, because I don't, like, I, I personally believe that non-binary, I mean, it came out of uh, the trans, you know, community theory, whatever. Yeah. Language of like, yeah, you're a non-binary trans person, which is to say you don't, you're not uh, on a pole of presentation that like you look like cis in right. some way or whatever. Or even feel or even feel cis. It feel yes. Yes. But it has gone out into the general population mm -hmm. and it's taken on its own meaning. Mm -hmm. And so I could either bang the drum of that, of what it was intended as, mm -hmm. or I can see that it has value mm -hmm. in people relating and resonating with it. Um, and then having their own journey, like, I don't know, like, I, I also said these things about myself and now I'm like, I oh, know. I'm trans. Me too. I know. Me I'm too. I'm like trans. I, I resonate with being non-binary, but also it's like not, I don't, I have a hard time calling myself that because people then are only call me they, them. And I don't use those pronouns anymore. I know. I, I'm not going to be mad. I'm not mad about them, but I don't, that's not what I use. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, this is about this person, uh, but I am sharing my experience to what they're saying because I, I had the same experience. As soon as I got a binder, I was like, "Oh shit!" I know, me too. Like my shirt fits the way that I want it to. Like I look the way I want to look, mm -hmm. and I think it's very hard sometimes for people not probably not the people listening to this podcast, but I think for people to empathize with that feeling. But it's like I think you know we all feel that way, and we all get to. It's like we get to choose the clothes we wear, mm -hmm. you know, and so. It's not that different for a trans person to put something on and go, oh, this is how I've wanted to feel. Right. You know, I mean, it's it's also like sometimes people want to like a cis man wants to wear a skirt and it doesn't make him trans. Exactly. Like, <laughs> exactly. like we, we, these these things can all exist together, you know, mm -hmm. I guess is like the expansion that I hope for everybody. I love that. I don't want to be rigid about those things because I, I don't disagree with you, Gay, but I also want to be respectful of what how this person is like identifying and that I don't think they're making some statement. But I also offer that uh, there's actually nothing wrong, and I don't know that they're saying that, but I just want to offer that like being a non-binary person is, that's why I use the word trans, because right. I think it's more inclusive of many experiences. Uh, you know, I... I'm transgender. I'm also transsexual. Like I also have been a crossdresser in my life. Like there's so many right. words to describe myself that like I try not to get too hung up on what I am and what I'm or I, I try not to get too hung up on what I'm not mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and experience what I am. Yeah. That's the last thing I'll say. So you can talk. Gabe. No, I think it's good. I think it's interesting to look at a binder as just a piece of clothing that you like that makes you feel better. Um, you know, I think uh, I think that you don't have to. You don't have to start spiraling about it, but what you're saying here is like, Stacy is like definitely ways that I have felt. I think paying attention to like, I felt like I could breathe again or like, you know, I, I, I think that this is something that maybe people think has to mean a huge big thing, but, um, or like a change in any particular way. But I do think that, 
you have a grip on like what's going on for you and you're like tracking it in a way that like makes a lot of sense. And like, it seems like, you know, like from the writing of this, it's like, like Stacy is keeping track of the ways that things feel and has things that can make them feel better. So Mm. just keep following those. Yeah. And it's like, try stuff like that's uh, that, that I think is like, if I had a, uh, um, motto for being trans it would be try stuff right <laughs> see what you like you know like that I, that's also i think why people are so afraid of us is because we're willing to try stuff exactly we're willing to look at things and go i'm gonna try that it took me like i said it took me you know 20 years or whatever and it's like okay it takes what it takes it takes as long as it takes but like um i mean i also just to share my experience like i felt that way when i put on a binder I also felt that way when I put on a t-shirt for the first time after I had top surgery. And then like I put on clothes and I feel I feel like myself, you know, which is the most essential thing of what Stacy's saying, you know, which I think is the most important part. Um we should do do we have an advice one cuz we're already past 20 20 minutes. Hey guys, new. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy to hear River returning to podcasting, and I'm so happy to hear a new voice in Gabe. I missed Three Swings, but this sounds like it'll be even closer to home for me. Three Swings is River's old podcast. It's my baseball podcast. I've been a trans podcaster for seven years, and I'm a trans woman athlete. I've also been married to a trans guy twice. Both times they came out after we got married, so I joke that I'm the trans guy whisperer. Good for you. I essentially live every day wondering when, if, I'm going to have to make a run for the Canadian border, and I can only say that so many times on my own trans show, over 300 episodes worth. But to hear a pair of comforting voices at a time when I'm desperate for them and just hoping they're not also spewing apologetics for Chappelle or just Karen Rowling, it's such a relief. River, I've always related to you despite doing the gender story in the opposite direction. We're from the same area, similar in age, grew up Cleveland baseball fans. I've even dabbled in stand-up because you inspired me to, and we're both trans athletes. Not exactly every day I hear someone like you who says things I can actually relate to in this day and age, and I just want to give my gratitude for being a comforting voice at a time of never-ending distress. I'm trying to ride out playing sports as well as being in this country as long as I can. My football team is accepting and I've had a few issues with other teams and we're still building the team. Or as they'd call it, I'm ruining fair women's sports by getting us two to five with my unfair advantage. (laughs) I'm sure they'll go right back to following the league intensely once I'm gone, right? Anyway, this was long. I'm sorry for that. I just want to say thank you. I'm grateful you both exist and that you started this show. So my question from this to you, River, is you play baseball. I do. What... Uh, have you ever, do you relate to that? Have you, what was getting back into sports like post um, transition? I, it has been really awesome, actually. I, and, and what I would say is like, I have a collective experience of playing co-ed sports uh, as a quote woman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as a quote, non-binary person. Sure. And now as a man. Okay. And, it's been like an incredible experience. What do you mean? Uh, I mean, we don't have enough time for me to get into the whole thing, you know, because it's like it's also like 10 years of my life that I've been in this thing. So it's like it's one of my uh, closest and like deepest communities. Yeah, I know. That I spend my my time in and uh, it's just been really it's just been really incredible to have like, you know, I have like specifically close friendships with these, you know, cis guys who have rolled with everything you know and like i've learned a a lot from their experience that i i was unaware of well 
maybe we should do an episode with like a baseball person, another baseball person. Yeah, maybe. Well, I'll think of who we could do it with. But yeah. <laughs> it's possible. I mean, I guess I just haven't, you know, because here's what I think is maybe different from this person's sports experience is that it's what I'm in as an independent league. We have no, like, we don't, uh, we're not part of like the parks department. We don't have like some upper, we, all okay, the teams like, I know I, I have a, uh, at least a, a, an acquaintanceship yeah. friendship through the baseball thing with a minimum of three people on every team. And that is a, that is a deep minimum. I wow. know most of the people on most of the teams. Okay. So like, it's very different in that way. And you've known that, them like, for a long time? The people that I manage my baseball team with, I've known for at least 10 years. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. <laughs> so like I've gotten divorced and you know, all, <laughs> transitioned on all this stuff. They've gotten married, had babies. Like I know their kids, you know, it's like, it's a very, it's been, it's been a very powerful experience, you know? And there's like, there's a, what's interesting is there's a, what I relate to is like this person saying like that people think they're stacking their team and and there has been the experience of people stacking their team and they're always doing it with cis men. <laughs> you know? uh, but I will say there's been some teams that have stacked their team with like cis women who are really good. Mm -hmm. You know, so like, here's the thing. Stacking a team is stacking a team and you can't, you can't base it on quote biological factors. Right. Like, cause the thing is like, you could I you can also have cis men on your team who aren't that good. Yeah. You know, who aren't the best. Yeah. And like what we as a team, and I don't want to say who aren't that good. Like that's that's <laughs> the wrong way to say it. But it's just like there are people who play who have played baseball for a long time. Uh -huh. And there are people who are new to it. Uh -huh. So I, I wanna I wanna phrase it more kindly. Cause that's that's not a kind way to say it. Cause I'm speaking more about an outside thing and a perception, perception. People who have put more time in or who... who Well, people who played in high school, yeah, played in college. And then they come in with that, that skill set. And then people who are like, yeah, I just... And who have... Who get better and, 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 and grow and all those things. And like, so our team has always been about like friendship Aww. and community between people who love baseball. That's the other thing. Like we, we, we put baseball first, but not at the detriment of friendship. And like collaboration and community with each other. Oh my God. And so that applies to everybody. And we don't always only pick the guys who come in and can pitch. Like we choose people who like feel like they're on the same vibe with our team, which is like we want to have a good hang and we want to support each other and love baseball together. That's so sweet. You know? So that's what I hope for everybody. You know, that's what I hope that sports can be for everybody because it's a really powerful thing to like watch somebody you know, like, quote, make a mistake and then the next inning get the hit that like yeah. moves a runner, runner over, you know, like, like it's just it's really powerful stuff and you don't have to be the best at it for that to happen. Like our, we won the World Series a couple years ago together and literally all of our offense came from our, our players like it came from our uh, not high school yeah, players. yeah, yeah. Like it can't. It, like I don't know what to like our 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 workaday players that were like the unexpected RBIs from those folks, and like that is what I love about sports, and it's what I love about baseball specifically. Oh, this is such a good way to end because it was so <laughs> uplifting. Yeah, and I just hope you know, like I've I used to say this all the time on my baseball podcast. Like, if this is something you want, you got to go out and build it. You know, and that applies to literally everything whether it's sports or whatever just getting some people together to play on an afternoon regularly and then you'll you'd be amazed at how quickly it, it grows like this thing started with i don't know maybe 30 people 
and it is now like a league of 200 people. Oh my god. It's it's nuts. And I've no I've watched people get married, get divorced, have kids, like you know, all kinds of stuff. It's like a really powerful thing. And like my team now has multiple trans guys on it. That's amazing. That's so cool. <laughs> and so like and it, it it wasn't by my doing. Right. You know, like I didn't go out and find them. They they honestly found it. And there's lots of queer folks in there. And, and it's, it's you know, I don't know. It just, you got to go out and find your own thing. And like, it sounds like this person also probably has a supportive team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we just keep on living. Like Latigra said. <laughs> Full circle, baby. Full That's circle. Um, well, we have an amazing interview coming up with Tuck Woodstock. So stay tuned. What's like a baseball way to say that? I don't know. Next inning coming up, baby. <laughs> I guess uh, on deck on is deck. Tuck Woodstock. Yeah. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Pansy Aesthetics. Pansy Aesthetics is an LA-based, black, and queer-owned and operated aesthetic studio founded by Leola Lula, a.k.a. the Lesthetician. Pansy caters specifically to the LGBTQ communities and allies. All ages, bodies, skin types, genders, or lack thereof, and concerns are welcomed. Leola specializes in top surgery and FFS post-op scar care, acne management, restorative skin care, chemical peels, hydrofacial, and more. I've been to Leola twice, and it was a very soothing and welcoming experience. I'm sure you've heard of the Lesthetician on Instagram. I posted pictures if you want to go see them, at Gabe S. Dunn. She's given me so much really positive and um, easy-to-do skincare stuff to take home, but she also did such a good job of my top surgery scars that literally other people noticed. Um, and it's just a very welcoming and beautiful space, and you will not regret going to see her. Pansy is a proud supporter of The New Guys, and all listeners of The New Guys receive a 15% discount. Enter code TKG15 at checkout. Hey, all, it's Gabe. My audio got a little bit fucked up during this interview. Don't worry, it's still great. You can still hear me. Um, but yeah, just a heads up. Okay, love you guys. Um, oh my God, I. And so I, every single guest that we have on this show, I'm always happy to introduce and, and speak with them. Um, and today is no different. Um, so I would like to welcome to the show, uh, Tuck Woodstock to the new guys. Tuck, thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. It's such a delight. <laughs> yeah, we course. were noticing immediately that we all three look like exact clones of each other in this little <laughs> Zoom window. And I'm happy to fit mm -hmm. the demographic to be invited onto this show. It's pretty adorable. We we each have it's like a bunch of different Kens, um, <laughs> and then we have like our little play kit or whatever, you know. Because Tuck, you have that great um, nose ring. I always forget what is that the, the specific septum ring. Yeah, septum. I always forget what it is because I think septum means belly button, and it doesn't. That's um, incredible. But before we get too far into our our Ken play sets, um, Gabe likes to have people introduce themselves, and I think it's a great way uh, to do that. So Tuck, would you like to introduce yourself as? Uh, however you see fit? Sure. My name is Chuck Woodstock. I make a podcast, Gender Reveal. Uh, if you like this podcast, you will like Gender Reveal because it's pretty similar. Uh, and also, I am a co-founder of this organization called Sylveon Consulting, where sometimes I get to talk to journalists and tell them to do a better job talking about trans people. Um, but mostly my job is just talking to trans people, which is great, such as today. <laughs> What a great day. I feel like your show is like the grandpa of our show. Yeah, I love that. 
Yeah. And so I was like, we have to have grandpa on to talk. (laughs) (laughs) Just hanging out on the porch talking to grandpa about what's up with trans people. Yeah. Well, so, okay. So you did a fantastic interview with Sarah Marshall for You're Wrong About, about trans coverage. But when I, when we met you, so you started out as like a journalist, right? Primarily. Yeah, I was a journalist. I mean, I like to say I still am a journalist. Who can make that go away? So I am a journalist and I worked at a magazine in Portland for like seven years. And I've done freelance for a bunch of different places. I think if you have seen my work, it was probably in 2020 when I was reporting on the protests happening in Portland for like 100 consecutive nights, which I think actually, Gabe, I was on one of your other shows talking about that at one point. Yeah, on Just um, Between Us. Yes. And so, yeah, I've done a bunch of reporting on a bunch of different subjects, but lately I have not done so much of my own reporting outside of perhaps that uh, You're Wrong About episode, which even then is more of like collating other people's work. And instead, I've just been working with other journalists who are telling stories to try to help them not make really crucial errors that could hurt trans and queer and gender nonconforming people. Uh, and because I have a journalistic background, it's like a little bit easier to have those conversations. Um, but so it's it's been really interesting because I think at this point, I am generally unemployable by a lot of journalistic organizations because of holding views and having opinions and sort of speaking out against these things. But I guess that doesn't disqualify me from coming in and suggesting things that they do differently. Um, It just disqualifies me from like getting a byline. Uh, And so, yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, uh, but it's kind of fun to come in and just be like, hmm, have you tried doing a better job? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you mentioned byline and and not being able to get a byline for those places. And I feel like that was, you know, not to consistently footnote another podcast, but I think it's important. It was an important... essential notion in uh you're wrong the you're wrong about episode that you did with Sarah Marshall which is like and kind of ultimately what you're saying which is like well what is journalism anymore you know to pretend as though um any journalist does not have is fully when 100% objective is kind of ridiculous um and ultimately being used by fascism right now <laughs> to uh to uh move forward their agenda but yet everybody's hiding behind this like well we can't talk about trans people and trans people definitely can't talk about trans people because they have an agenda um when in fact we really just have our experience you know um so i guess i don't know what my question is per se i think my question is like the defaultness of like cis people being able to be objective and somehow we're not totally i mean we've seen that with all sorts of marginalized groups and you know, I'm not the best person to talk on this at length, but I do know that Ida B. Wells, a famous activist journalist, like one of the reasons that her reporting was so successful and well-researched was that when lynchings were happening, only white people generally were like allowed to report on lynchings and be objective, air quotes. And then she had, uh, you know, a greater stake in the issue being a black woman and seeing people in her lives that she knew Um, being the target of lynchings. And so that motivated her to do deeper, more investigative reporting that uh, found a bunch of really key information that other reporters hadn't found because they simply didn't care enough to go digging for it, or they didn't ask enough questions, or they didn't know enough people who like could give them the information they needed. And I think that's true about all sorts of marginalized people to this day, where people who are branded as activists 
journalists are really just people who care about an issue enough to do really good reporting and to also be discerning in their sources and understand the biases that different sources are coming in with, um, the bias that the community at large is coming with, uh, in with, and being able to go past the sort of mainstream perception of something into uh, like the views of the people who are being actively marginalized. Uh, And so, you know, I really don't think that only trans people can report on trans issues, but I do think that most cis people reporting on trans issues are doing a bad job because most cis people reporting on trans issues are coming into the environment in a vacuum um, and being like, I've never heard of this before. I just learned about it yesterday. I don't know any trans people. And that's what makes me perfectly objective. When in reality, like even the cis people who are doing the best reporting on trans issues are cis people who are deeply in community with trans people and understand the dynamics at play and can like build trust in sources. Um, And so, yeah, both cis trans and trans people, not to like cape for cis people, but like both cis and trans people are capable of doing great reporting on this issue. It's just that most cis people don't care enough to like, because the stakes aren't there for them. Like if, you know, Emily Bazelon does a bad job reporting on trans people in the New York Times, it doesn't hurt her other than we like Mm -hmm. do a mean tweet to her. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's really just like the stakes are higher for trans people trying to get this story right because we know how much it can hurt our community if we don't do a good job. Well, what about cis people reporting on transphobia? They're the ones who do transphobia. So maybe they're biased. (laughs) Think about that. Totally. I mean, and they are, you know, like there's all sorts of, again, hashtag not all cis, but like there's a lot of cis reporting where it's like trying to draw this line where it's like, it's not that these people are transphobic. It's just that they hold transphobic views. And it's like, I don't understand, you know, the distinction to be like, oh, it's just that their beliefs believe that there shouldn't be any trans people. But like, that doesn't mean they're, you know, it's just like, okay, like these distinctions are meaningless, again, in like a context of fascism. (laughs) And also, I think that only trans people, as you were kind of alluding to earlier, only trans people um, are really consistently making the point that all of this is connected. And that like, the movement to, you know, legislate trans bodies is the exact same movement to legislate women's bodies and other people who could be pregnant, like a fascist movement. Um, And weirdly, I don't see most cis reporters making that connection that all of this is like systemic. They're really like siloed in their one individual issue. And I don't know why that is. Um, And so I do feel like trans people kind of have um, the canary in the coal mine voice of being like, hey, this is happening to us, but it's also happening to everyone and it will continue to happen to everyone. And then we get into the whole uh, marginalization, first they came for me, et cetera, et cetera, like all of those cliches, but it's just like, you don't want to let it go too far up the ladder. Like we want to be taking action like while we can, but I don't know because, you know, the New York Times would be like, what do you mean taking action? (laughs) (laughs) No action here, only reporting unbiasedly. So I don't know. Do you think that by the time an organization is reaching out to you to talk to you, they already have some idea that there's a problem because the people that want your services actually care and the people that could probably most benefit from your services are like, no, thank you. Totally. Yeah, there's two layers to this. But um, something that I've said a lot is when I first started doing this work, like, I don't know, four or five years ago now. Uh, everyone was kind of on the same page, which was like a lot of groups didn't know anything, but in a neutral way. And so if I presented the information, they'd be like, cool, thanks for the information. And now it's like either a group already knows a lot and is seeking to learn even more because they are actual, like true allies who care, uh, 
or they will not believe anything I say because everything that I talk about is now so politicized that if I'm trying to give, you know, something that it's so politicized that if I presented the exact same information that I would have presented like four years ago, instead of it see, being seen as just this is objective journalistic best practices, it's seen as like a political take that I'm trying to like shove onto people. So because of that, what you're saying is absolutely true, which is that most organizations that hire me are people who are already doing a good job and are trying to do like an even better job or are communities that were like most people are on the same page and they're trying to get like just to make sure everyone's on the same page. Uh, there also are instances where I go into a place and a lot of people really, really need the training, but the people who need the training are the ones that are never, never going to come, you know, even within the organization. Uh, which is fine because I'm not going to like magically convert them into thinking trans people are people by like talking to them on Zoom for 90 minutes. So like it's okay. Um, and in some ways it has been really nice because it's been cool to work with journalists who already know a lot and get to get into more of those like nuanced conversations. But on the other hand, yeah, I'm absolutely not going to be hired by, you know, the New York Times at all because they don't care. Like why would they listen to anything that I had to say? They also seem very monolithic to me that like they they don't I, I don't think they care what anybody thinks. You yeah. know, I'm not trying to <laughs> deny. No, anything, totally. But um, it's it's like if they believe that they are the standard. Right. You know, and that is like that is such a hard uh, conversation to have with any one or thing institution that believes it's the standard. It doesn't need to change. Why would it change? It's the standard. Yeah, you know, like why would we need to do anything differently? Everybody else does. You know, we we already know what we're doing. And like, I mean, what what I'm hearing it, that is very positive is that, you know, like the rising tide lifts all boats. It's like, yeah, I I actually don't want you, Tuck, to go into these like places that for, you know, lack of a better totally. word, are actually hostile environments for you to try to um, even just have like a, a, a metered what the thing the thing that people tend to not be able to latch onto is that like this is you're actually being objective. It's just yeah. that they don't think you are. <laughs> right. You yeah. know, and so like how do you how do you change someone's mind who doesn't believe that this is an objective uh course of action? And I think it's by going to the places the places that are uh open to that. And also like there's a lot of things where there is no objective right way to do something or no objective right answer. So like for some reason when I go to newspapers mm. specifically, a lot of them get fixated on this very specific thing that's like, what happens if someone com commits murder, goes to prison, transitions, and is released from prison? Do we then have an obligation to dead name them in the paper so we can warn people that this person who they know as this is now out of prison? And I'm just like, I don't know, babe. I guess like if that's really important to you, you can do that. Like I can't stop you. I am never going to give you permission from me to dead name someone because I don't think you need to do it. But at the same time, it is up to your organization to decide like what those standards are. Another thing is like updating names and articles after someone has changed. So if someone wrote about me five years ago, can I like reach out and say, can you update my name from five years ago? You get to decide what your policy is. There is no objective answer. And I think people have a really hard time with that too, because they want to be told like the one the one thing to do. And um, what I'm saying is it's like you have to make decisions for yourself. And they're like, well, hate that. Tuck, it's very funny to me that you brought up, I mean, this is your experience, but that 
uh, places will ask you about like, what if it's a murderer? <laughs> what if the trans person we're talking about in the future that hasn't happened yet is a murderer? Um, because I, A, want to know how often the scenarios are that negative <laughs> and like caustic and uh, horrifying. And B, just wanted to share that um, uh, when I... I don't I don't say come out but when I when I told my dad I was trans um <laughs> he said and I say this with so much love and compassion in my heart so like I'm sharing it because our relationship is ever evolving and changing and growing in a way that I did not expect um that he was like well I guess you could be calling me from the penitentiary <laughs> for murder and i was like yeah i mean i That's guess <laughs> oh my god oh and it like god. kind of it like it like changed and and it was not uh, it was like harsh in its language but it was not harsh yeah. in its expression and so i just was like you know he's processing this and like but it's interesting to me that transness and murder homicide gets put together in people's lizard brains um, because I think it's, you know, transphobia is a fear. So right. I feel like for me, that's where that's coming from, from people. So I wanted to hear more from you talk about that, like how often you hear those kinds of things. Totally. I mean, weirdly, when I've been asked it in a newspaper situation, it is because something vaguely sort of like that has happened, you know, once or twice, just the sheer number of people that a crime reporter sees as I feel like Gabe knows, didn't you do crime reporting at some point? Yeah, I was a crime reporter uh, for like all of uh, end of uh, college. Yeah. So you're like seeing a lot of people go through mm -hmm. like one of them's going to be trans at some point like that's just kind of the reality of the situation um especially in addition to things like murder like trans people being so criminalized that they are you know extra likely to interact with the criminal whatever system um not going to call the justice system but you know uh incarceration situation the criminal processing system yeah totally and and again this isn't about murder but when you think about like you know, fully half of like black trans women have like been put in jail or prison at some point. And so that's something I try to bring up when they're talking about, is it okay to dead name like people who have gone to jail or prison generally? Is it's like, well, trans people are criminalized and black trans people are especially criminalized. And it's like very likely that these people we put in jail or prison for like truly innocuous offenses. And now you're going to dead name them or nothing, you know, but that is to say even if they're doing murder, we can talk about the bad things that someone may or may not have done without like invoking like this weird specter of transness to make it worse because we all know that trans people are much more likely to be victims of violence than they are perpetrators of violence. Um, and we also know that, you know, all of these weird ideas that people have of like men going into the women's bathrooms to do crime and that's why we can't let trans women be women um is you know completely wrongheaded because again like trans people are much more likely to be assaulted in the bathroom than be whatever an assaulter um but all that you know none of that changes the fact that what they want to know is like okay but one person once did do a murder and was trans so what should i say about them <laughs> you know like it's not really a concern of like systemically like how are we thinking about trans people and violence it's just like i don't want to get in trouble for saying the wrong word in this one article that i wrote so can you please give me permission to dead name this person and it's like you know like Again, like, I just can't spend all of my time talking to you about, like, one past or future 
or fictional person. You know, like if you want to, when you're writing the article, send it to me. We can have this conversation, but I can't just hypothetically like make up people for you to dead name, you know? (laughs) So like... There needs to just be a dead name video game so everybody who wants to dead name people can just like get their rocks off, you know? I I mean, I was going to say the thing about being like more likely to be victims of violence. And in that case, I feel like there's like a jump to dead name too, or there's like a jump to be like, well, we don't know. We don't know. This is the legal name. So we got to use this. And well, and then everyone around that person is like, well, we, this is what they went by. And everyone's like, well, blah, blah, but the legal, like, cause they're dead or whatever. Like it's that. The thing that's hard is that sometimes it's not everyone, right? It's, it's like sometimes like mm. family members and friends have different ideas of like what that person used and what they went by. Uh, and there's not always easy solutions. And that's one of the reasons why it's really hard to, in a training, give someone a clean, easy answer because it is going to be complicated based on the individual situation. And that's true kind of no matter what you're writing about. And that's why I really try to avoid giving people rules and instead give people information that they can use to think critically because my hope is not like now you've memorized like these five easy tricks mm-hmm. to writing about trans people but instead being like here is the context of the thing you're talking about that you were previously unaware of now that you have this context like can you figure out what you should do in this situation and if you can't figure it out do you know like who to contact to help talk you through it and that feels a lot more important to me because like the words that we use and the like best practices we have like are going to change like the way that we talk about trans people like is changing over time and so even if i did give people like a cool tip sheet to memorize like that's going to be out of date in like three years you know (laughs) so i don't remember running across any in when i was doing crime reporting i don't remember trans people coming up at all i don't remember running across that in any capacity. I don't remember. Well, we didn't exist then. Right. What was like, it was 10 years ago, just, we didn't exist. We were just invented. We just so. came on the scene, all three of us at the <laughs> same time. Like, and that was the. Yeah. Which is so interesting because, you know, I'm also, I like follow, still follow crimes because my brain is broken. And uh, there'll be like, you know, the, the whole thing with the Long Island serial killer that's happening now. Right. Who murdered sex workers there. I'm like so annoyed by how much, they're reporting on this and then they'll be like, and an anomaly, an Asian male in women's clothing. And I'm like, guys, come on, like, come on, you know, like you, you know, you right. know better that they don't. Right. And people don't want to speculate. Uh, and they only value, like you said, like a certain type of information where it's <laughs> like, well, here's the information that we have that we can verify, which is like someone's whatever, birth certificate or Not social even. And if they're, un, if they're unidentified, do you ever wonder why they're unidentified? Maybe because you're totally. identifying them in a way that is not, people around them are not going to know what that is. Totally. Yeah. No, it's really complicated. And like, that's the thing that's hard is like, it's a really complicated issue. And most of the people who are reporting on this don't have the background for it because why would they, where would they have gotten it? Um, and that honestly makes me a lot less frustrated and a lot more understanding than the people who are intentionally going out and writing like 10,000 words on trans people despite not knowing anything about it because they're really like doing it to themselves, you know? And it's like, okay, we're always going to have these like tricky edge cases where we don't have enough information and here's like, you know, we can talk through it. But what we don't need is people who once again have never heard of a trans person before being like, I just found out about trans people 
um, I'm going to learn about them for the first time. and I'm going to take you with me <laughs> and to interview, like to find out what trans people are. I'm just going to go on the street and ask three random cis people, do you think trans people should have rights? You know, it's just like, okay. And if a man wrote Sick. a piece that was like about uh, cis women and abortion or whatever, cis women would lose their fucking minds. So it's like, mm-hmm. what, you know, it was interesting. I saw Kokomo City last night, um, which is a documentary by D. Smith about black trans sex workers. And there was this amazing part where this uh, woman was talking about Danielle Carter. Danielle Carter was talking about like, you know, black, uh, like she doesn't understand why trans women and cis women cannot see each other as women because they're both dealing with the same like oppression from men. I can't sum Mm -hmm. it up, but I was just like, it was so well put. And so like people in the audience were like snapping, like it was so perfect. And it was just like, made me be like, God, turfs are idiots <laughs> like these like people that are like gender critical it's like you're just screwing yourself it's like it's like that meme that's like t- leopard ate my face yeah it's like yeah obviously yeah i don't know i think a lot about what gretchen fulker martin said about writing turfs into her book and how she had to uh create like richer interior lives for them than she's actually ever found evidence of because otherwise they would be like really boring and like not really like dynamic characters in a book um and it does feel true that it's just like i don't really understand why where this is coming from or why and i actually have no way to sort of like place myself into your brain and make it make any sense so all i can do with them is like just fully ignore because i like the second i try to make sense of it i'm just like well um I can't. Yeah. I can't get my head in the game there, you know? Yeah. I, I have found, you know, I, well, I have I have a thing I want to say about criminals, but I just to say about the, the turf thing is that uh, I realized that I was letting them live not just in my head rent-free, but in my heart. And that is where mm. it's really difficult. And I um, don't, re- I don't use Twitter anymore. And it's yeah. some place that, like, I wouldn't know you, Tuck, if I wasn't on that thing, you know? Like, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's also a place that was, like, fun. I liked it. I had a good time there, you know? Like, I met people. Like, I, I witnessed other yeah. people's lives. It expanded my own consciousness and experience of my life, you know? Like, I, there's so much of my life that I experienced while using that thing, you know? Um, and it's so it's easy to get really flat and be like, oh, it's a trash bag. And, like, it is. But also, uh, so much good happened on there, too. Like, I think that... Uh, the consciousness of the planet has been raised because people were able to connect on that thing, you know, like from Arab Spring to like Ferguson to 2020, like all these things. But this small, like I, they are so small, like they are so small, you know, not just in like themselves, but in their ideology is like so small. And the amount that I was allowing it to invade Mm. my life, I was like, I'm giving them exactly what they want. To, and and I'm trying to echo what you're saying uh, that this author is saying is like I, this is it, it's so small that like I'm allowing it to be more of my life than it ever has to be right you know and like I did have to leave that it doesn't mean I don't think about it it doesn't mean it's, yeah. uh, I'm not like but I would much rather interact with people who are maybe like misunderstanding of what it's like to be trans. And yeah. maybe saying some sure. things that are like, oh, oh, whoa. You know, like I have friends that say, you know, they throw out like biological and, and I wait until they're done talking. And I go, <laughs> hey, I to- man, I totally hear what you're saying. I just want to point out yeah. <laughs> that like I, you are you sound like somebody who's like understanding, wants to learn all that stuff. So this is why I'm offering this like 
It's yeah. kind of a talking point of some not so great folks. <laughs> and like, I understand what you mean, but like other folks, it might make them feel weird. And so like, I just don't use that word. You know, I use cisgender or, you know, like assigned female, you know, whatever it is. Um, anyway, all of that is to say, I wonder too, that a lot of this conversation, and I, you know, I think that the, the turf thing actually is part of it too, is that like, I wrote this down, like, can we, do we treat criminals, and I'm doing air quotes for that, yeah. because ultimately, like, what is a criminal? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the three mm-hmm. of us in certain states are criminals right totally. now. Totally. I'm a criminal. <laughs> so a what is that actually You don't know mean? what I've done. And like, how, can we treat uh, someone who has been uh, labeled a criminal right. with basic dignity? You know, exactly. Di- regardless of what they've done, like, can we have that sort of radical dignity and respect for other people? Like that, exactly, could be the objective space. And I think people are afraid to go there because they might have to trade, you know, some of their like respect for doing that stuff, and it's scary. Well, and there's a lot of people in this country who don't think that anyone who has ever been uh, convicted of a crime should have any dignity, right? Yeah. Like that's why our prison system is the way that yes. it is. And so if you try to make an argument of, do you think that these people deserve <laughs> basic dignity? A lot of people will just say no, and then yeah. that will kind of be the end of the argument. Yeah. You can't do anything with it. But like what you're saying is so real uh, about, well, about everything. I mean, Twitter, like that's a whole thing that I completely agree with you <laughs> on. It's like so hard to see it crumble into yeah. the waste. But I think, yeah, it, it's so hard to just walk away And one thing that has made it easier for me to walk away from those conversations or those people that I see online is knowing that I specifically am a subject matter expert who knows all of the talking points because of my jobs. And so I just know that I know more on this subject than they do. And that's true of all trans people, but it's like especially, especially true for me as a gender educator. And so I'm just like, oh, they're wrong. (laughs) Oh, they're wrong. And it's just like, there's nothing that I can do. Maybe like in some border cases where I can't tell if they're like being intentionally terrible or not, I'll like say one thing and see kind of how they respond because some people are just like actually looking for information. But like you can tell really fast if someone is trying to learn or not. And I'm happy to talk to people if they want to learn, you know, on my terms, I'm happy to talk to them. But um, I'm not I'm not going to spend time on someone who is being so loudly wrong. And I'm like, well, I know you're wrong. Yeah. I don't have to do any, you know, (laughs) I think, I think I said this in our last episode with Leo Shang, but I just said Mm -hmm. this, which is basically what you're saying. Like, I don't debate things that are up for debate. Right. So it's like, if if you're asking me a genuine question and I give you an answer and then you debate me on that, I'm done. Right. Because like, this is not a debate. You know, it's not, I'm answering your question on good faith. And, you know, we can all tell when it's a question that's bad faith question. I'm like, See yeah. you later. <laughs> you know, I don't need to do mm-hmm. it. It's like that mm-hmm. that has been like a hard practice to be like, oh, I'm actually not gonna go there. Yeah. Cause like that's not a real place to me, you know? And when yeah. I go there, I make it a real place for you. Mm-hmm. And like once I enter into that, I've entered into it, you know, and I can't right. I can always back out. However, I try my best to not jump into it, you know, because <laughs> I'm validating them. The criminalization is so is so important too because that's why they're making all these laws. That's why they're making all these, right. these things. Because so then uh, people can say, well, they're criminals for, you mm-hmm. know, doing these these mm-hmm. gender things. And, uh, for, you know, for oh, making me feel we're, weird about my religion. Or yeah, something, you know, <laughs> we're criminals yeah. because, yeah, my you're making my me feel weird about religion, like River said, or or even, um, you know, which is what's nuts to me, because. Then, like, Roe v. Wade gets overturned, and they're like, come to my state, and I'll help you get an abortion. 
I'm willing to be a criminal. And it's like, okay, <laughs> totally. what am I then? Right. I mean, there are states and people who are doing that for trans people. Right. Like, there are multiple states that have, like, passed legislation that's like, we're a sanctuary state for trans people. And at first I kind of laughed and was like, what performative hell is this? But I was like, oh, no, I actually do understand it now. It's like Texas can't extradite you for, like, having a trans kid. Like, it's so, 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 so wild that that's, like, a thing that does need to be done. Um, But I've kind of, yeah, come to terms. I think I just got so... Uh, you, living in Portland, I got so used to everything that anyone had ever done politically being so performative. <laughs> and now I'm like starting to realize like things have gotten so much worse that it actually is like no longer performative to do things that like maybe once had seen unnecessarily performative. And it actually is just like, oh, it's a bleak time. And like we need everyone to do anything that they possibly can, which, um, yeah, I, I hate how even sort of like the most basic moves of allyship now i'm like oh i'm touched by this unfortunately Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that's where we're at (laughs) i mean i'll be honest i felt that way like 10 years ago too so i feel like it it, it's it not to uh i'm not negating your what you're saying what i'm saying is like i think it's always like this it just isn't always like this for everybody and we all are we're all in the i'm gonna say the stupidest thing we're all in this together because sometimes some of us you know a rising tide lifts all boats like some of us are the highest boat and like we're we are actually continuing to do these things whether they seem or feel performative because you know we don't progress does not require it 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 can't it doesn't end you know so we just like are continually doing this work to see what happens you know to continue to exist yeah, something that was really smart that someone said on Gender View, Lily Zhang said, is that uh, the concept of being some- something being performative or not is not really an objective truth so much as uh, you looking at that person and deciding if they have good intentions or not. Like, it's your read on that person that determines whether to you they think you think it's performative or not. And so I think for me, I felt like for a long time, again, living in Portland specifically, it was no stakes for anyone to like support gay or trans people, or at least it seemed to be no stakes. So it it really cost you nothing to be like, sure, I like trans people, whatever. And now, you know, we're in a moment where it is more visible that like, oh, there are so many places where this has always been true uh, in the world and in the country where like saying that you stand up for trans people actually does have a lot of stakes to it. And so for me, I'm like, oh, this person is not just saying this because they want to seem cool. This person is saying this and I know they mean it because they're actually like risking something by saying it. Um, And I think like that's the distinction for me. And as you said, that's like been true in so many places this entire time. It's just that I've like lived in a series of bubbles like fairly <laughs> intentionally. Yeah. And so like it has only been recently where I'm like, oh, these people are like risking something. It it has re- I, the thing that I realized when I was just I was just in Portland very recently and I was like having this new ex- I mean, I've gone there so many times. I wanted to live there like it's a vibe. And I realized I wanted to live there because of the things that you're talking about. I wanted to go from a place where I didn't feel that to a place that I felt that. And even just the fact that, you know, we talk about bubbles all the time, but at the same time, I feel like places like Portland and Chicago and, you know, just bigger cities that do these kinds of things because there there are more of us there. Like Mm -hmm. it has a reverberation, especially now with social media and the way that you can see these things so quickly that like, okay, if people weren't doing that, then they're not doing that. And I don't see that and I don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like mm-hmm. then I don't know. Then I don't have a North Star and I don't have I don't see any possibility, you know. And so someone in a, in a rural place can see those places 
uh, and not necessarily see them as like, oh, they're better than me, but like, oh, people feel this way. Yeah. You know, and, and, and once you start to feel that, it magnetizes and you maybe find it where you are. You know, that, that has been like, I feel like the movement, you know, for the past, like, whatever, decade, 20 years, I don't know, that like, we don't have to leave, actually. And they're passing these laws to try to make that happen. And sometimes people do have to leave. But mm-hmm. the possibility has just like been cast throughout, you know, our existence that like there there are us in places and there are people who love us and care about us and are willing to say those kinds of things. And I've found in my own experience, at least recently, that when I start thinking like, oh, somebody's just doing this for performance, like there's somewhere that I'm realizing I'm doing that. Mm. And I, I want to get honest with myself and go like, oh, maybe maybe there's more I could be doing. I don't know what it is, but I feel I, when I see somebody else doing something and I get like, oh, they're just being performative, I'm like, oh, where am I lacking? You know, like what am mm. I, I want to be doing something and I'm like jealous or like judgmental or whatever because I feel like there's something else for me to do. Mm. Um, can I ask a, a a spicy question? Of course. Okay, is there something to obviously it's dangerous, but is there something to the history of like being a criminal and like being kind of like a gender criminal? Like, is there something I, I'm not fully formed on this, but like, you know, is there something to kind of being like Yeah, we do we want do we maybe maybe we need the laws for protection, but are we maybe, maybe fuck them? You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah, know. I think that the, there is a, a sort of a correlation between gender freaks and anarchy, if that's what you're yeah. asking. I mean, be gay do crimes caught on really big and eventually had no meaning. But it did start from like a place of like trans prison liberation mm-hmm. and trans anarchy, right? And so... I think that there is a correlation between that and there's, you know, so many like hard leftists and anarchist organizers that I've talked to on my show and I've kind of stopped asking why do you think so many trans people are anarchists and leftists because the answer is like they're the only ones that aren't trying to kill us, right? So it's like pretty obvious at this point. But yeah, I do think that um, also, and I think we've talked about this on the show, that's like when you're trans, you have to be able to imagine better futures for yourself or you wouldn't be able to transition. And once you start imagining better futures for yourself, personally, you also can start imagining better futures for the world and you can start thinking about the ways that things could be. And unfortunately, um, that does involve at some point a level of criminality in our current system because our current system is not built to like accommodate a better world, right? right? It's like really intentionally tamping that down. Um, So that's not to say you have to be you have to be a criminal, whatever that means, whatever we're using that to mean. Um, but I do think like what you're saying with like being trans, being some sort of gender freak, some sort of gender deviant, and then being like, okay, so now I'm questioning like what laws, what what they're there for and whether I need to follow them. That's absolutely true because you got far enough to question the laws of gender in society, which is like one of the hugest ones, whether it's like actually physically on the books or not, you know, whether there's a cross-dressing law or like Mm -hmm. a criminalization of HRT in your state or not, like it's still like clearly like a social law. Mm -hmm. So yeah. What if we made a big suicide squad and we all got (laughs) together and I had a big bat with the barbed wire around it? I'm just spitballing ideas. So 
Tuck, I have a very specific question for you. And just want to say. You're oh, holding yeah, a baseball. I, I just have I was like, remember, let's talk about baseball. No, I mean, if you say, want I to. But, uh, <laughs> no, I, I was just going to say, me personally, I I just don't. I actually don't think laws are there to protect us at all. Because like, that's why River, how do, how you do hold they? the baseball, and that's your <laughs> sure, weapon yeah. for the Suicide Squad. <laughs> that's right. I don't know how effective I would be. I'm not a pitcher, so I, I could throw it right to your hand and and be like, "Hey, buddy, I love you." That's how I would perform on the Suicide Squad. Which, hey, we maybe need that. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, not to go. I don't want it, to. It's just I I think I would be remiss as you know three Caucasian people right. uh, to not also say like that. You know, native people were crimes right. just as people. Mm-hmm. Uh, black people were crimes. So there's a, you know, long, we, all three of us know this. I'm not saying yeah. anything nobody doesn't know, but just to 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 add to the criminal, it's like, I just, I don't actually believe in criminal as as an identity. I it's, know, that's why it everyone is an identity can join the suicide that is squad. used. Right. Right. For other, for, for the, you know, the system that is in place to continue to oppress us. So, I mean, I just, that's why I don't believe that laws actually keep us safe, because they don't. Because, like, do do I stop at a stop sign because it's the law? No, I stop because I don't want to run into somebody, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. and that's, like, what we're talking about, which is, like, treating each other with dignity and respect, you know, um, which uh, no law is going to make us do, you know? So, the mm-hmm. question I have for you, Tuck, is when in your life, either, like, chronologically or just, like, experientially, was that moment that you began to imagine a better future for yourself? Mm, that's a good question. I think while I think about that, I'll stall by saying that I am, in fact, um, a mixed race, extremely, extremely light brown person. But I also take your My point bad. that, no, it's okay. Uh, there's a lot of white in there also, diluting the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, I apologize so I for assuming. Understand. But, um, <laughs> but... At the same time, the moment that I saw a better future for myself, I think like in a in a trans perspective or in a world, everything in the world perspective. And maybe they're at the same time. Yeah, or at the same time or trans perspective. That's the shit. Yeah, however however yeah. you want to answer that. Yeah. So I think for me, a lot of the moments that really opened up for me was when I was able to realize that I was not beholden to the structures of society, which is kind of what we're talking about in general. Because I think like growing up, I was very like wanted to be good and wanted to follow all the rules and wanted to like get everyone around me to like think I was a good person so I wouldn't get in trouble. Um, And then there's like a certain moment that we all kind of talked about a little bit before we started recording where you realized you're like, oh, I'm an adult and I get to do the thing that feels best for me. And it doesn't actually matter what other random people think of that. Um, And so I think the moments in my life that have like been the biggest and most fulfilling and most rewarding are when I took steps that I was like, oh, I don't know if like everyone would agree with like this being my job or this being my career or this being my gender or this being my name or this being my body or whatever. But like this is like a thing that I'm going to do for me and I'm going to trust that my community of people are going to show up for me and or I'm going to find a community of people who are aligned. And I think trusting that like I will not be alone in like my freak world for freaks but in fact like i will be supported by people who are like seeing the world in a closer way to how i see it 
um, has always been true and rewarding ultimately. And like, I think it can be so scary. Like I hear on gender reveal, when we do advice episodes, we get a lot of questions that are basically like, I'm in a situation where my friends, family, partner, et cetera, don't really support me or understand trans people, but I don't want to lose them. So should I just kind of deal with it? And, you know, the answer that we always give are like, you can find people who are like so excited about you and so Mm -hmm. like on the same page as you. And I think like I had to really understand that advice um, and like get into those spaces in order to like make decisions that were best for me just to be able to be like trusting that there are people who will love and care for me and respect me. Um, And if I'm not finding them in a certain space, it doesn't mean that I'm like deeply wrong. It just means that like, that's not the space for me. There's a different space for me. How did you find those spaces, Tuck? Oh God. I mean, what's so hard is a lot of them are on the internet, as you said, (laughs) you know, like not Mm -hmm. all of them, but like a lot of them are like going on the entire internet and then finding your people and then, meeting them in my case at least like so often I live in New York now and like all of my New York friends except for like three are people that I met on the internet first and then we hung out and now we're good close friends and whenever someone asks us how we met we go on the internet yeah. I don't know internet <laughs> um and even you know friends like friends who were like people I've dated I would like met them on the internet to date and then we you know and so I think like so often it has been going into online spaces or making the podcast, which is, you know, reaching out to people that obviously have things in common with in some level uh, and and getting to know them. And that's why it's really hard when the Internet, the like more site specific areas of the Internet are like slowly being demolished. Like in some level, it's like, wouldn't it be nice if we could go back to like everyone was on little chat boards and I was like 12 and I was like on a chat board for these two books I liked because then I would find people who also like those two books and make a great community. And now it's like, I'm not going to go on threads, you know, like it's like, what am I going to do? And like, I feel lucky that like now I'm in a place where I already have such a community that I can just like go out into the world and like go to an event and meet my friends, friends and like go out from there. But it's like, it seems so hard to like start over at this moment in time. And I think my main thing that I do is literally just make the podcast because it gives me an an excuse to like invite both of you on and be Mm -hmm. like what's up (laughs) who are you would you like to be friends here I am you know podcasting (laughs) the ultimate dating profile I know like I mean but it like really (laughs) it really is like a nice way to meet people and you like Mm -hmm. get to know them for a little bit and like a lot of times you never talk again but sometimes you do (laughs) sometimes Um, you do I wouldn't recommend that people make podcasts because I mean like not you but like people out in the world, but it is, it is a fun way to meet people. It is, yeah. <laughs> but Tuck, I wanted to like, uh, something that you just said, which is like, and I, I, I feel that feeling so much of like, oh, I don't like, I felt this way about Twitter. I was like, I have to start over again. Like I, you know, I had followers on there. Like I, I built a business on there, you know, yeah. like that's as a performer, I built a business on there. And like, then you also mm-hmm. said like, I mean, I have this community now that I can go out into and be with. And I feel like that is the actual era that we're in. Like that is what Mm -hmm. social media has given us is this like beautiful foundation of connection that now in this like, I don't want to say post pandemic, but I I don't know what else other word to use. Like we're a pandemic has happened and we're in the fallout of it where where we're like, oh, how do we keep it going? Mm -hmm. And like, how do we live in the world together as this world is slowly evaporating and changing 
And mm-hmm. like, I feel like trans people especially are like, okay, <laughs> let's do yeah. that. You know, because the other option is to recess back in and right. like, we didn't do all this work to do that. At least for me, I didn't do all yeah. this work to go back in the closet, yeah. like literally right. <laughs> of my home, you know? So like, I'm trying to look at it as a powerful inflection point. And I feel like the strikes are a part of that. It is a physical thing. You cannot yeah. strike from your house. I mean, you can if you're, it's possible. Right, right, right. But like, yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to be ableist, but like you yeah. can also do that. But like, it has a physical you know, out in the world component, like both are yeah. powerful. We need both. Yeah. I don't want to be truly don't want to be ableist. And I, I just was, yeah. uh, but saying you can meet hot people on the picket line. <laughs> you, can. you can make friends can. on the picket line. Uh, you can, I think like there's the mixers, there's like, I think people taking it offline has been, you know, maybe that's the next era. We're back to that. But also, um, when you're talking about building a business and like getting off of Twitter, you know, maybe it's a, a new era because for me, I'm off Twitter. And also for me, I had to build up a business again, not from just from that, but I came out as trans in 2021. And I, right. I lost all these followers. I lost a lot of business connections. And then now I'm sort of building that back up with like this like naive optimism of like, and everyone will show up again. Like I'll find the new people, you know, but it is like not just that era of like social media or, or connection, but also like my business died in a whole new way and has to like get reborn in a whole new way now. And I get a lot of comments, you know, um, from like men who are upset. I'm not fuckable anymore, which also (laughs) then I've like never totally are. I I was going to say, I've never been more fuckable to a different group of people, (laughs) but like, totally, but like, yeah, it's, it's, it's jettisoning, like burning it to the ground and then building it back up again in a whole new way with all different people, similar to like coming off the Mm -hmm. internet. Like it's all Mm -hmm. different people now. Mm-hmm. Or it's the people that have also transitioned, and we're like, "Hey, and we Spider Man, we yeah. Spider Man meme each other, right?" And there's a lot of those yeah. too. No, mm-hmm. I mean, like those people are out there, and like it is challenging. Like we can't all live in like New York right. or LA and just like go out and beat up, meet everyone in real life. But I think that increasingly, like there do have to be different paths, either online or in person, or a mixture of the two. Uh, because I think the ones that we've used like served us for a long time and are like maybe not serving us anymore. And like I'm. River, I feel like we're in a similar position where like the other day I was like, well, maybe I just won't post anymore. And then after like three weeks of not posting anywhere, I was like, oh, I have a career. Like, <laughs> I like, actually like have to yeah. post. Yeah. Um, I like have to be getting my like little attention. Uh, and it's hard like mm-hmm. when that's your, I mean, like all of our jobs, I mean, I shouldn't speak for you, but mm-hmm. like I feel like all of our jobs rule and are like we're very lucky to have them. But it also is jobs where it's like we do have to figure out ways to keep getting attention. And mm-hmm. it's like, well... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm going to be walking down the street being like, have you all heard of this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess I I totally agree with you, Tuck. I'm just like, I'm trying not to be beholden to it. To to think, you know, to think that like it's the only thing. Because I I also see the other side of what that that is like i've done that and felt like it's i live and die by this stuff and like it will it will kill me like it will literally kill me i'm saying i already heard of people that were talking about this show in real life at a podcast i mean at a coffee shop hey so i already heard about that river yeah and i've had people come up to me and be like i love your podcast so much and it's like 
that's the reason I do yeah. do anything. Yeah. Honestly, I used to do uh, things for bad reasons <laughs> that, we, that yeah. were almost done, and I don't need to go through them all. But it was mostly like my ego. Yeah. But it's like it's mm-hmm. awesome to just like talk to people and have people listen and feel a little less alone. I needed that. That's what I listened to podcasts for at my mm-hmm. terrible day job, and I I could get through my day because of that. You know, and I learned stuff, and I started doing stand up because of it. You know, it's like very mm-hmm. very simple simple stuff. Tuck, you know? can I thank you for something? Um, potentially strange. Yeah. Is it normalizing drinking so much seltzer during this recording? <laughs> no. Anyway, uh, that is Welcome to Gabe's seltzer. potentially weird gratitude. <laughs> yeah. Potentially, my potentially weird. We need weird, a graphic for that. Yeah, exactly. My little corner. Um, so you made an account that was like for posting spicy photos of yourself, right? Yeah. And then, mm-hmm. and I followed that. And this was like mm-hmm. before I was like, out as trans or or coming to terms with it and stuff and like a big part of helping me be confident or or helping me like move forward and feel like everything was gonna be okay was like seeing your and I'm not they're not nudes but do you know what I mean like seeing the they're not not they're not not nudes but like seeing those were like kind of like a weird buoy of like helpfulness to me And, like, I think I even, like, wrote about one of them, like, in my journal or something. (laughs) Beautiful. I love knowing that. No, that's incredible. What's so funny about that account is that it was, like, my only private Instagram. And then when I got too much attention on main, I deleted that one and just converted that account into my main, like, four friends account. So it is just kind of whoever now. But if you scroll down long enough, you do see nudes from, like, 2020. (laughs) But now it's just, like, me with my friends and, like, animals and my cat being like, hello. Um, I archive some of them, but I did not archive a lot of them because it is just, like, me with my tits out over and over again. And it's like, well, those don't even exist anymore. So, like, it's, like, a beautiful archive. It of- was just so cool <laughs> to me and it felt so, like, it felt tangible. It felt like that, okay, yeah. I'm seeing that and I can reach that. And there were like, yeah, yeah. I mean, and so thanks anyway. I mean, like, I'm happy to hear it because I like that's how I feel about a lot of my friends, too, is when we were talking about like moments of possibility, like truly um, for the first couple of years of me being out as trans, I only knew other like I really mostly not entirely, but I like mostly knew non-binary people who had like not been on HRT mm-hmm. or like had any surgeries. So I was like, great, like that's what I'm doing. That's what you're all doing. We're all vibing. And then I, like, made friends with a bunch of transsexuals. And then I was like, oh, this is, like, also an option. Mm -hmm. And I, like, a lot of these people had been out for, like, 10 years. I mean, had transitioning for, like, 10 years. And I was like, oh, I actually didn't really fully understand this as a possibility for me until I, like, watched a bunch of people go through it and, like, got to really know people who had, like, gone through it in the past. So I, like, do understand, like, even if you're already, you know, questioning your gender in some way, it's really helpful to see how other people are going through it and be like, oh, that's a thing that I can do too. I can access that. That's the most respectful way to talk about nudes. Isn't it so respectful? (laughs) (laughs) This was very fun for me to watch, I have to say, and experience. Simply because it reminded me so much of my own experience, which was... Uh, I wrote it down so I didn't forget. I just went to see La Tigra in Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. uh, we'll probably talk about it in the intro, so I don't need it. And I want to let you go, Tuck, because you've been so generous with your time. But I was remembering, as Gabe was talking to you about your nudes, that uh, J.D. Sampson made a calendar that was like these pinup calendars of like very mask photos where like, uh, you know, chest was obscured in a way that made sense. And I just remember like 
seeing it for the first time and being like, wait, what? Yeah. Because that was like, it was seeing my internal experience externalized and as a, another human being and going like, mm-hmm. I had no idea. And, and also for that to be like hot for somebody, yeah. you know, like people to be into that instead of which I think Tucky already said like, oh, this is a problem, mm-hmm. you know, like this, yeah. to feel this way is a problem. And then to have people go like, no, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it only took, you know, 20 more years or whatever sure, for me to, to get to where I got to. <laughs> but I'm glad it took the time that it took because I'm like really stoked on my life right now. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's great. It, so I say that to all be like, wow, it's fun to watch my experience play out, you know, like to all share this experience and to watch you guys have that I together. guess it was post really your for me. is the... It's sort of the, the end of this. <laughs> the time is now, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. And we do want to let you go, but I do want to ask, Tuck, is there anything that you're like excited about that doesn't have to be work stuff? It can literally be anything, but it can also be work stuff. Like anything you want to share with everybody or? Yeah, I mean, lots of exciting things. I am uh, low-key. Uh, you'll hear it here first. I'm putting this before I put it on my own podcast, but um, we are working on like a couple of live shows in some major metropolitan Woo, areas over the next fun. few months. So I'd keep an eye out for that if you want to be gathering in person which i know not everyone does and not everyone lives there but at the same time if you do want to meet hot trans people to become friends with (laughs) it's a really good opportunity um said it before and i'll say it again so (laughs) also possibly like a a sort of fun dating app is the gender reveal live show so yeah it's my main thing everybody's field is going to be popping off when they walk into that oh my god ping 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 (laughs) that's so exciting tuck that's really cool thanks for sharing that with us and with uh, the people that listen to the show that's very cool happy for you of course thank you where can people find you and follow you totally well as we've all discussed social media is so confusing right now so i will say that you can probably find me on there's like a 50 50 chance you can find me on any app you use but you can definitely find me at genderpodcast.com and on the podcast gender reveal um and at tuckwoodstock.com and yeah maybe I'm, maybe you can find me on field like i don't know like whatever <laughs> i set mine to new york just to find you <laughs> <laughs> i've truly logged on to it like one time and then i saw like the worst profile i've ever seen and i left so <laughs> i <laughs> but you know i've had fine, fine times there well thank you tuck thank you so much for being here thanks for having me on the show this podcast is edited and produced by logan castradali Music by Atlas Bishop. Art by Maya Scarpa. Email us at thenewguyspodcast at gmail.com. Bye.